Hello, I will be giving a reading from the Bible, Psalm 32. Of David, I'm a skill. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through groaning all day long, for day and night, Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are those of the woes of the wicked, But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Just make sure this is, yep, it is on. You can hear me. Great. We've had two psalms this morning. How wonderful. It's uh, good to get into the psalms. I don't know if you've dug into the psalms and read them or maybe even sung them much, but they are simply amazing, aren't they? People going through life with struggles, with joys, just with their heart on their sleeve. Um, It's wonderful. How about I pray before we open up uh, this psalm together? Uh, I'd love it if you could just come before God with me and commit this time to Him. Our great God and Father, we do thank you for this day that we have together, to gather for the foot of the cross. Lord, we thank you um, so much that we have your word, your living word in our hands right now. We thank you that your spirit is right now working amongst us. And Father, may you, um, by your spirit, um, comfort those who need comforting. You lift up those that are downhearted. That you would challenge us as your people um, to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus. So we ask right now, Lord, would you help us to listen? Uh, Help us to learn from you this morning. And we pray this for the sake of the Lord Jesus and his glory. Amen. Mm. Well, I want to begin uh, with a question uh, for you. Are you happy? Could you say that your life, if you looked at it, was defined by happiness? Uh, I think uh, many of us would hope that is what all of us are experiencing today. But the truth is that sometimes life can feel a little bit more miserable than joyful, can't it? And, and it's like we're, 
reaching out so much for joy and happiness in our lives, but the more we do, the more weighed down we might feel. Uh, there's actually a uh, philosophic problem, a conundrum known as the hedonistic or hedonistic paradox. And basically it says that the more you pursue and seek after happiness or pleasure, the more it kind of escapes and eludes you. See, once you make happiness the end goal in and of itself, actually the less happy you are. But often in life we do get caught up, don't we, chasing after happiness and and things. We do it through things that we think will bring this about. Our world, of course, certainly tries to offer us that, doesn't it? It tries to promise us uh, that it can bring about this goal and fulfillment of happiness. You know, retire with enough money to to be comfortable. Or to travel the world, to see new places and new things. To have the right partner or the right job. It kind of even says the little things in life, don't they, will solve our unhappiness problem. Things like Netflix or novels or, or even you know, Facebook and Snapchat and YouTube and the 2,000 other apps we have on our smart devices. And it's actually not that these things are bad, are they? Actually, some of them are really good. But the problem is when we uh, seek to pursue these things uh, as if they are what is absolutely necessary for us to experience a real joy in life. Today, uh, we have a psalm uh, that Ryan wonderfully read for us, uh, a psalm written by David, King David. We said that it's of David. And it's written sometime after he becomes king of Israel. And it's a psalm that actually reminds us that God does actually want you to experience happiness. He wants you to thrive and flourish in life so that you can experience joy. But of of course, his main concern, isn't it, is that you experience real and lasting joy. A joy that can come about and results from something God himself provides. And, And here's the amazing thing I hope we see today. It's a joy that is so rich that it can be yours right now, even amidst whatever's going on, amidst pain, amidst good times and bad times. So I I do invite you, uh, open up your Bibles, if you have them with you, uh, to Psalm 32. And I think this psalm follows on well from our series in 1 Samuel. Because though though it kind of begins with this idea around happiness and flourishing, we're going to see that it's kind of tied up with something a bit deeper it's a matter of the heart and if you remember well with the series we looked at the heart a lot of the heart of David and Saul and we found actually with Saul wasn't it that um sorry I've got a clicker somewhere make sure it works yeah we found as we went through that series when we looked at Saul uh we kind of saw that he was um lacking in his character and this was due to his heart his heart was flawed and how did it end with Saul well, actually, it took a nosedive, didn't it? It spiraled down and went to pieces. We read about the tormenting spirit that came above, upon him. He was crushed. He was rejected by God, wasn't he? And ultimately, he would meet his demise. What's wonderful about this psalm is we're actually getting an insight into David's heart. And it's at a time that seems to be a, a not very good time. It's a particularly troubling time in his life. And David himself is on that downward spiral. He was heading up where we left the series. But now, in this psalm, it seems he's heading down on this same trajectory towards ruin. 
But although it could have led to David's ruin, we're going to see that it actually results in David's rescue and, and, and results in joy for him. And we see this, don't we? In the, in the beginning of the psalm, David tells us about this joy. But he does so in a statement that's both surprising and amazing, doesn't he? Uh, let me read it to you again. It says, Blessed, sorry, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's a wonderful statement, isn't it? But it's surprising. Can you see why it's surprising? It's surprising because we would expect it to say, blessed are those who never rebel. Happy are those who don't need forgiveness. Blessed are those who are right in God's sight. You would expect, wouldn't you, it, it to say that those, it is those who do, kind of don't need forgiveness, who are actually going to flourish and be happy in life. And that's what blessed means. A, a happiness, a joy. It, it's, it's on an onward direct, a tra- trajectory though, get my word out, towards goodness and, and a flourishing in life. So it's surprising. It's a surprising statement, but it's also amazing, isn't it? Because it's amazing news for you and for me. Because like if, if we're honest, this is us in this psalm, isn't it? We're the ones who are in desperate need of forgiveness. We're the ones who need our mistakes to be fixed, or we need them not to be held against us. And if this is how you, you're feeling today, well, there's good news for you, because David himself is in need of this because of a major problem in his life. And it's very clear what that major problem is, isn't it? It comes out in verses 1 to 2, but let me just have a look at verses 3 to 5. David says, When he kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's very clear what the problem is. It's sin, isn't it? That's what it is. And we know this. It's actually using three different words here in verses 3 to 5 that he uses again back in verses 1 to 2. That of sin, transgression, and iniquity. You can kind of say that sin is that of kind of missing the mark. If you imagine like a bow and arrow shooting at a target, we're, we're always missing we're falling short of God's perfect standards and ways. And transgression, on the other hand, is more of that of rebellion, a kind of disobeying God's direct word and command. And iniquity is that of a twisting, a skewing of what is true, a perversion of what is right. Um, my two daughters, uh, they absolutely love playing out in the sandpit that we we have out in the backyard. I think I've got a picture of it there. So there's a sandpit in that little boat in the corner. Uh, but what they really love to do more is to carry the sand out of the sandpit and take it all the way across that grass. This is actually a good day that I took uh, a bit earlier. And they take it uh, across the grass and they put it on the pavement. They make mud pies and wombat stew, whatever they're doing. Uh, but of course, my wife doesn't think it's that fun. Uh, and my girls actually know that my wife doesn't find it fun, and they're aware of it, but yet they still do it. And you could kind of say that in terms of what my wife and I wanted, 
clean pavement, they were missing the mark. That's kind of like what the word sin is like. They were failing to meet my wife and my standards. But now when my wife's had enough of it and she gives them, she actually gave them this command, girls, this, this is it. There's no more taking the sand out of the sandpit all the way over. If you do, you're going to have to clean it all up all by yourselves. Well, now there's a rule of the sandpit, isn't it? There's a rule that my wife gives them. And they have this command and this rule, and my daughters obey my wife, right? No, they don't. They don't do that at all. Uh, they did rebel again after she gave it, probably the next day, I think it was. And uh, my wife reminds them again. She helps them clean it up, but gets them to clean it up with the added force. She reminds them, this is the rule, don't do it. This is David's problem. Not only that he's failing to meet God's good and right ways, but he sins so much that he's evenly, willfully kind of gone against God's commands, against his teaching. Simply put, there's just pure rebellion going on in his heart. It's not good at all what this results in, though, that we saw in the psalm, is it? It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up. Like David tells us what the effect sin has on you. Like it makes your soul weary. makes you weak. David here is just completely weighed down like there's a ton of bricks on him. I'm sure there's many of us here that have felt the weight of our sin in our own lives. That burden, feeling tired, just like you're sapped in the soul of any strength whatsoever. But here's the question uh, for us, is how did things get this bad for David? How did they get this bad? And we want to know this, don't we? So that we can avoid this kind of downward path. Well, David tells us, doesn't he, in five brief words, five brief words, he tells us what the main issue is. For when I kept silent. See, what brought David the greatest anguish in his life was not only his sin, but that he was silent about it. He was concealing the truth he's not acknowledging what's really going on in his life this is pretty much what we say is lying to yourself is about isn't it you know pretending it isn't wrong at all redefining it if i um just go back uh, to my uh two daughters uh it was probably about two weeks later i have to say that they did pretty well but two weeks later my wife was out and uh, I was looking after the kids, and they were out in the sandpit, and I went out to check on them. And you can already guess what I'm going to say. What did I find them doing? They were putting sand everywhere again. And I have to say, it's probably worse than it's ever been before. It was just everywhere. And then I remind them, guys, this is not what mum said. She's given you the rule. This is not good. I want you to clean it all up uh, right now. And when she gets home, if you haven't done it by then, you're going to be in more trouble. And I certainly wasn't going to clean it up. Um, so five minutes later, I leave into it, I come back and I check on them and they're just playing again. They've completely forgotten about what they were supposed to be doing and they're back to playing. And so I was a bit more sterner this time. I was like, girls, there's no more playing. You cannot play at all until this is done. I want you to take all of this sand and put it back into the sandpit. And so I leave them to it. Five or 10 minutes later, I come back and what do I find? 
no, I'm actually quite stunned because the place is like really tidy. It's like unbelievably tidy. I said, girls, I was going to say, girls, this looks really good. But I stopped myself because I couldn't believe that it was that tidy. And even the grass, there was no kind of sand dripped across it. And so I just kind of, you know, trying to get my head around it, I said, girls, did you really do what I asked? Did you put all the sand back in the sand pit? And then Violet, she kind of was a bit umming and ahhing, but then she said, oh, no, actually, Dad, we've put it on here. And she lifts up that fake grass. There's the big pile of sand. And I, I was trying to hide my smile. I really was. It was a clever, clever little plan, but that wasn't why. It was because I could see she was wondering what to do and then decided, decided to tell me and uh, showed me their little scheme that they had in place. Well, I let them know they couldn't keep doing that. I did explain that to them. I actually helped them clean it up, and it was tidy by the time Beth got home, wasn't it? But this is what David said his misery is like. That's really the issue. To be silent about the wrong he committed is kind of just like my girls, just sweeping it away, pretending it's not there. You'd say he was sweeping his problems under the royal rug as king, hiding it, pretending it wasn't really a problem. Uh, Most um, commentators kind of see this psalm as a further reflection as he's looking back on his real big sin that he did with Bathsheba and committing adultery. And you can kind of see that, can't you? Where things went off the rail. Because like, like, you have to ask, how did things go from David not going off as he should have to war and having a bit of a holiday all the way to murder? That's what it says in the text, doesn't it? It says, when kings go off to war, and what does he do? He stays home. Maybe, maybe there's something in David's mind thinking, David's killed 10,000. Like, I probably deserve a little bit of a break here. I probably could just stay home this time. It's not going to hurt to have one, one season off, is it? And then maybe one night he's bored because he should have been doing something else. He goes to the roof and what does he see? A beautiful woman bathing. And he watches her, doesn't he? And maybe there's a thought in his head like, oh, I'm not really watching for any reason. She's actually quite beautiful. I'm just admiring her beauty. But then, of course, he wants to see if her beauty is really that wonderful up close. And what does he do? He invites her to the palace. And she comes. Maybe he wants to just see if she's really, really that beautiful up close. But of course, what ends up happening, you know the story, she ends up spending the night at David's place. And then there's a little thing in the text, what does David do? At the end of the night together, sends her away, sends her back home, it says. David's trying to pretend it didn't even happen. But, of course, a few weeks later, uh, Bathsheba sees that she's actually pregnant and that's not good David thinks he can fix this though doesn't he he invites Uriah home <laughs> invites Uriah home thinking that uh, he can sort all this out so that Bob or David's your uncle rather than father but it didn't go to plan did it what happened you know the story well Uriah was a faithful man he should have been in battle And if he was to stay with his wife, then he would be unclean for battle. Uh, That was part of their requirements. And so David didn't rely on him being such a noble character. And so in the end, David just sorts it out, doesn't he? He sends Uriah off with instructions to send... Sorry, David sends Uriah, yep, to send him to the front of the battlefield where he is going to be killed 
along with his men. And it's interesting that that's exactly the same thing, isn't it, that King Saul wanted to do with David. Let, let someone else sort it out. I'm not going to kill him. And then David takes, steals Bathsheba as his own wife. So interesting, isn't it? One small sin at the start, un, just kind of redefined and covered up, leads to another that he has to cover up and more and more until he's buried in it. And I have to say, this is something I've been wrestling with this week in this psalm, and, and maybe you've kind of already grasped it too, is that as much as we try and ignore our sin, we know that God sees everything. He knows it. Why are we lying to ourselves and to others? We, we try and pretend it doesn't exist. I've still got in my mind, as Pastor Paul talked about, that spiritual spin. We, we try and spin things as if, no, that's, that's not it. Or we distract ourselves with, with little things in life, don't they? Thinking they're going to be the cure for our problem and the misery that's going on. You know, happy distractions, as it were. And what does this do for us? Weighs down your soul. It saps you of life. Why? Because it ruins our relationship with the God of life. That is why, isn't it? And ultimately, if you look at those words again, David's words, they are deadly, aren't they? They're deadly. There is good news in this psalm, isn't it? It's good news from God's word of a cure against such misery and what it is that will bring true happiness. What is the solution? Well, it's the grace and kindness of God. That's the good news. If we are honest and confess what's going on in our heart before our God, if we kind of shine that spotlight on the wrong desires wrong thoughts and actions and see it for what it really is, God promises that he, he is the one who's actually going to cover it up. We actually see this turning point in David's joy in uh, verse 5 again. Uh, he says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin." Brothers and sisters, we need to be honest with ourselves, don't we? Honest with God about what is really going on. To come to Him and say, God, I've, I have been holding on to this thing in my life. It's an idol in my life. God, I, I have been doing this and I've been excusing it, not being truthful. I've sinned against you. And, and God, you know, kind of like my daughter, just lifting up that rug and saying, God, it's actually here. This is what I've done with it. Please forgive me. This is the wonderful promise isn't it of this psalm immediate forgiveness and freedom a freedom that transforms our state of life from misery to just joy and you can see why david is glad and happy isn't it because he understands that it is from nothing in and of himself that has done this it's come from god and him alone all David could do was simply trust in God's provision for his sin. That's all he could do, to believe that God would deal with it. And of course, in David's day, they had the provision, didn't they, of the sacrifice of animal that would be a substitute for their sin. God provided that means. He said 
for them to do it and gave that command. But always at the center for these sacrifices, wasn't it, was a matter of trusting in God, trusting in God's provision and what he said. But of course, they were always also pointing forward to the true sacrifice, weren't they? That was the shadow of God's real provision for sin. They were always pointing forward to Jesus, weren't they? The one who could always say, blessed is the one who was good and perfect. Blessed is the one who has never sinned. Jesus could say that, couldn't he? But in Jesus, we see in him and in him alone, that our sin's done with. It's completely done with. As Jesus was strung out on that cross, he took your place. Your sin has been paid for, what you deserved. Your debt has been gone. God has covered it up. You know, when Jesus was buried in that tomb, in that grave, so was your sin. Buried and gone. That's why we can now claim and wonderfully say, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sin God does not hold against them. My friends, name one thing, just one thing that is better than being in right relationship with the God of the universe, the God who knows you and who made you. There is nothing, is it? There's nothing so central to life. There's nothing so mind-bendingly wonderful and good. There's nothing overwhelmingly good like this, to know your God, to be in right relationship with him. And, and that's what this psalm is about. God, like David here catches this glimpse of, what God, glimpse of what God has done. He gives us a snippet of how good it is to see what confession and being made right with God brings. And I'm just going to go through these and zoom in quickly. Three things that confession brings. Three things that being made right with your God brings. Uh, the first is that it, confession brings the promise of safety and security. Therefore, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. You might have recently heard about just absolutely devastating floods that have happened. Sudden floods that have happened in Libya. Great loss of life. But they were just unexpected, these tidal waves, and they just called great destruction and and here David uses that kind of imagery but here it's a rescue of these sudden dangers likely David has in mind here actually safety from the judgment of God but did you notice as well the urgency of this call while you may be found it's now that is the time now is not too late now is the time to turn and trust in God so being Right with God brings safety and security. But secondly, forgiveness and being right with God brings about the promise of peace and protection. It says that you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. There's so much danger everywhere in the world, isn't there? Um, there's nation rising up against nation. And of course, our countries think that they can feel protected from such dangers with their great weapons or their mighty strength. But for the one who trusts in God, there is the promise of his overarching protection. 
covering them, like kind of like a, a bird that surrounds and protects that baby chick. God protects those and surrounds those who trust in him. Thirdly, forgiveness, being right with God, has a promise of God's devoted direction. The promise of his loving guidance. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. It must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. There's words here, isn't there, of teaching going on, like a mentor and a student. But did you notice there's that kind of very personal language? It's, it's not actually like a teacher and a student. It's more like a, a loving parent guiding and equipping their child, teaching them uh, how to live and guiding them. And I have to say, I love how verse 9 pulls all of this psalm together, I think. It says, don't be a donkey. Don't be a donkey. It says, don't be a stubborn mule like you were when you tried to hide your sin. Rather, let the teaching of this psalm, that it teach you that this type of confession of kind of being truthful with yourself, it's not a once-off thing, is it? It's a, it's a daily thing. It's ongoing. But to keep making the decision to reveal our hearts to God, to confess and show God what's really going on. And the conclusion of that is David's final conclusion for us today, a a reminder of the choice we all have. The choice of either sorrow in sin or the great joy in light of God's love. Verse 10 to 11 says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Well, as I uh, wrap this up today, I, I feel that this psalm's kind of pointing and calling us to two things. The first is a question. I wonder if right now you are just suffering from the burden and weight of your sin. Is God trying to see and help you see your need to get rid of it? To come to him and to hear this urgent plea, but also the call to joy that this psalm gives. I just want to encourage you, do not leave here today until you have spoken to your God. Till you've come to him, being truthful, lifted up that rug, not covering it up anymore. Because he already sees it. He already knows it's there. Come to him. And there is that promise, isn't there, from God, that in Christ you are forgiven, that God has covered you, he will protect you, he will guide you all the days of your life. That's the first thing. Don't leave here today with things left undone. But the second, I think, is, is great in that closing verse of the psalm. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. If we're honest, sometimes we're, we're not rejoicing. We know this, don't we? But we don't get up each day and rejoice in the truth of what we have in Christ. And so I just want to encourage all of us here, myself included, with one little simple exercise. Is that okay? 
something to help us, I think, be more aware of the joy that is found in Christ. So it's this. It's very simple. Two verses and one prayer. I wonder if just this week you could wake up, and as soon as you wake up, just read two verses of this psalm, and then as you reflect on it, just say a prayer to God. A prayer of thanks, of confidence in Him, of His kindness that He has dealt with your sin, of His peace and protection. Simple reminder of God's kindness for you to take into your day. Will you try that? I'll give you that challenge myself. I'll let you know how I go next week. Let's, let's pray. Perhaps as I pray, um, I could give you some time to come before our God together. So that you would speak with Him, that you would be honest with Him. Just give you some time and then I'll close in prayer. great God and Father, I just thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have all because of the Lord Jesus, the one who came, who lived, and who suffered and died in our place so we could be right with you, God. We thank you for him. And Father, I just pray for perhaps for those that are feeling just sapped of strength themselves, maybe not because of sin in their life, Lord, because you know them, you know they are honest with you, but just because of the burden of life itself. I pray that you would lift them up. I pray that we all would be reminded of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Father, I just pray closing um, just some words from David's psalm of Psalm 51 cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity create in me a pure heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me Amen.